Hey, hot family and community, and those of you who are new, welcome. I hope that you consider to subscribe and join into our Hawk fam. Today is an exciting and new day, and not only that, but as I always tell you guys, I'm not better than you. I am learning with you, and today we're going to be learning about scouting, and I have a special guest with me. Bobby Robert is going to be joining us to educate me and you guys on the recruitment process. What does that look like? And some rules, regulations, and also we'll cover three questions that you guys have asked me on Instagram. I'm really excited. And Robert actually played in high school and he was going into the Cleveland Indians. And then he had a tragic injury that prevented him from continuing, but he had a love and passion for baseball. So he continued his work in the industry of baseball and worked his way to being a scout and now has a smash zone baseball facility that he is working and running and i'm looking forward to having him here with you guys bobby you there i'm here drexel how are you i'm doing good i really appreciate you joining and is there any more you want to elaborate on or talk about yourself so that they can know a little bit more about you sure yeah thanks for the uh for the intro that was that was great um so yeah you know baseball is means a lot to me you know just to give you a little bit of a background about myself um, I started playing baseball at nine years old. So that's a little bit later than, than a lot of kids are playing now. For instance, my son is a uh, class of 2025 and he started playing when he was four or five, but I started playing when I was nine and it was simply by chance. Really. Um, I was at a friend's house and, uh, my friend's father tossed me a catcher's mitt and said, Hey, um, catch some pitches that my son's going to throw. And at the time I was a, I was a football player. I had never, I had never, I, I honest to goodness had never caught. I'd never done anything. And so I said, okay, sure. Um, so I got the catcher's mitt and he said, well, no, you got to get down. And so I did that. And so all the, all of a sudden this guy starts throwing me these balls and they're about hitting me and I can hardly catch them and everything else. And, but you know, over, <laughs> over, over time I said, okay. And I, and I got the hang of it. Well, then he put a bat in my hand and he said, well, here, now try to hit it. And I couldn't hit anything. And then all of a sudden I started hitting a few of them and they started going pretty far. And before I knew it, uh, I was playing little league on his team. And after that, to be quite honest with you, you know, things just started happening. I, I started loving the game. I started playing I started getting bigger. Um, and before you know it, I'm making all-star teams. I'm, I'm doing this and doing that. And then, um, and then, you know, the love of the game just kept going on. And so I'll remember that the high school coach came to a, uh, over to the little league where we played at. And he said, are you going to play for the high school team? And I was like, sure, coach, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And so I started playing. And then, um, before you know it, I was on the varsity team. I, I got my first start when I was, uh, a, a sophomore in the regional tournament. And then, you know, I, I played my, my whole baseball career, um, uh, at high school, uh, and, you know, something that that is really where where I can and I'll elaborate a little bit um, later on this. But when I was a junior, there were some scouts there to see a kid on the other team. I didn't even know it. Well, that game I did, I, I played really well. It was really my best game that I played all year long. I hit two home runs. So after the game, the scouts came up and they started talking to me. And before I know it, I'm talking to college coaches and. Um, you know, and so I, I get some college offers. Uh, I decide to go to junior college on the advice of the Cleveland Indians. Like you had mentioned earlier, they said, go to junior college and, um, you don't have to wait until you're a junior to sign a pro contract. Um, you'll be able to sign a pro contract right after that. 
after your first year. Um, so go play in junior college. So that's what I did on their advice. I didn't get signed that year. Um, they advised me to go back again, but that, that summer, um, the university of Louisville coach, um, was playing in a summer league that I was in and he and I struck up a conversation and he says, why don't you come to university of Louisville and play? And I said, okay, great coach. That's what I'll do. Um, so I show up <laughs> at the university of Louisville. Uh, you know, you have to go through tryouts and all that stuff. Cause I was a late comer and I make, I end up making the first rounds and all that stuff. But then it was in the fall. Um, and I don't know if I wasn't warmed up properly or what, but I I'd had a lingering arm injury. I was a catcher. And um, something happened and it just wasn't right. And my arm was in tremendous amount of pain. And it was before, you know, back then there weren't all these elaborate surgeries and all that stuff. And so that day, um, you know, I, I, I had to hang it up. And, um, you know, that was that was a life lesson to me. And, and all in if there's I'm sure there's going to be a lot of kids listening to this. And I want every kid out there just to remember that you have to approach every single game at bat, every throw everything and you can never take it for granted because you never know when that when baseball is going to tell you your time playing baseball is over i had no idea that was going to happen to me um and but it did uh, i wasn't ready for it but you know you have to accept it baseball told me that it was time for me to quit and that's the one big piece of advice that i'd always give to every kid never tell baseball you quit them make play as long as you possibly can until baseball tells you it's time to hang it up. And so that's just kind of a life lesson there. Um, that's just a little bit about me. Um, since then, and now I'm a travel ball baseball coach. I coach my son, like he's a, like I said, he's in 2025. I opened up a baseball academy here in Louisville, Kentucky to train, develop, and help coach um, uh, kids, you know, get better uh, and, and get their skills to where they want to be. Um, and then I scout, I scout kids to help them, uh, you know, fulfill their dreams of playing baseball at the next level, whatever that next level will be. So um, that is a long winded assessment about me. I hope I didn't, <laughs> I hope I didn't go too long, but, but that's, that's me in a nutshell, Drexel. Yeah. Well, you got a little bit of a story in there. You gave some advice that I, I would love to elaborate a little bit on what you meant. Uh, can you go a little bit more in depth on when, when can a player really know when baseball said to them, that it's time to quit because yeah. it's, it's one thing for you as an individual saying I quit baseball because you there's no physical aspect there's nothing that restricts you except for the fact that you have quit but now you're flipping it where you're saying baseball tells you it's time to quit what does that look like when when can an athlete really assess that and acknowledge that sure and you know you can take it to the highest level right so if you think about who's been playing on tv um, recently, you can think about, uh, you know, professional like King Griffey Jr., for instance. King Griffey Jr. is my favorite baseball player of all time. Um, the younger generation may not even know who he is, but, you know, he was the second generation. He was called the kid. He was from Cincinnati. He was just awesome. But he, I, I firmly believe he would have been the best to ever play the game. But injuries just kept, kept, you know, lingering on and on and on. And so basically, he played as long as he could possibly play, and then baseball told him it was time It was time to retire. His numbers started going down. His speed wasn't what it was. He was getting out more you know, than, than he ever had. His arm wasn't in as good a shape. He was even getting injured more. Um, you know, you're not in as in good a physical shape anymore because it's harder when you get older. And so he played as long as he could possibly play, 
before he retired. And a lot of those guys that you see retire, man, they're on TV, they're crying. They don't know anything else other than the game. And even when they retire, they still can't get away from it. They're coaching, they're, they're, they're doing all these things. And so that's what I mean is that you, you go as long as you can go. Uh, until you just can't go anymore. And I don't mean go as in, you know, I'm going to die on the field. I don't mean that. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you, I mean, you go until you, you physically can't compete at the level that, that is competitive anymore. If that make if that makes any sense, you know, when, yeah, when, when, when you just are, when you're not competitive, when you're not helping your team, um, when you're just out there because you're a legacy player and they're not going to tell you that it's time to, you know, go, you're not going to get cut from the team, but you're not adding value anymore. That's kind of when it's okay. I've, I've done all that I can do. I think that baseball is better that that with me than it was without me. I've left it in a better place, whether that be the team, that you know, where whatever it is, and you go out on your own terms. But it's because baseball said it's 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 time. Um, that's what I mean. I see a lot of kids just they they quit because you know we're we are in an immediate gratification type of society, and if you can't you know look hitting a round, I will go down to forever saying this. Hitting a round ball with a round bat that's flying at you is the most difficult thing in sports to do. And once you're lucky enough to actually hit it, it's nine people trying to get you out. It's nine on one. So, you know, you, you got to think about that. The odds are not are not in your favor ever, ever, ever in your favor. As a hitter, you know, no. You fail, you fail, you know, 60, 70% of the time and you're in the Hall of Fame. And so the, the, they can't do it. So the thing is, is that a lot of people will quit because they just, they, they think, well, I'm failing too much. I'm failing too much. And so, so don't quit on baseball. Do everything you can to keep playing. Um, and, you know, if you're a grinder and you just keep trying and trying and trying and you keep going to the coaches, coach, I'm trying here, let's do this, let's do this. Maybe it's private lessons. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, it, who knows what it is, Rich. Maybe it's reading a book. You know, there's some really good mental baseball books yeah. out there. Um, but but just don't don't quit on the game if you love it. If you don't love it, then you need to go find something that you love. Go, you know, go, 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 go <laughs> yeah. do something else that you love. But if you have a passion for baseball, don't quit. I love it. And I, I think the other thing, too, is that don't not only do you not quit, but be on the pursuit. Really be on the pursuit. I think that that's something that has uh, really changed my life and my perspective as well, because I last year I was I was uh, at a FDA camp event, which was dedicated to helping uh, a Christian athlete get a camping event for a, about a week. And I was there and I got the opportunity to coach and train some kids. And also I got to have a conversation with all the kids on stage and I was able to tell them, you know, you got to be one, you got to be self-aware. Mm -hmm. You got to know what your abilities are. What are some things that you have to adjust, navigate so that you can perform your best. The second thing is you got to put in the work. There's no way around it. You can't get through or to the next level without putting the work in. The last thing I used to say, I changed, which was never give up. But I realized by looking at myself, I said, well, I never give up, but I never been on a pursuit either. So I changed it. Now it's on the pursuit. I tell them, be on the pursuit because you giving up, like you just said, don't let yourself give up. Let baseball 
put on you. So basically, be on the pursuit for baseball and let baseball tell you not to be for doing it anymore. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah, you, you summed that up perfect. You have to be on the pursuit. And, you know, everyone, you know, it, it just depends what you're – everyone's on a pursuit of something at every level. You know, my son right now is – he's a 2025. He's in eighth grade. He is on the pursuit to make the varsity high school team. You know, after he does that, God willing, and, and if he's good and if he's good enough and he keeps going on the route that he's on now, once he does that, he'll be on the pursuit to play in college. If he's lucky enough to do that, he'll be on the pursuit to play where you get paid. Right. Um, and so and so that <laughs> that's the whole thing. You have to keep your your eye on the prize and be in pursuit of what's next. But you also have to be. Real, you, you have to be honest with yourself, right? There are a lot of people who, and, 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 I, and a lot of parents and mom and dad, if you're out there and you're one of these, you know, you know, it's time for you to look in the mirror too. There are some people and parents and kids that are unrealistic about where they currently are and what their ceiling is, right? Um, the, floor, the, the, the floor is where you are now. You should never go any lower than you are, right? So, But where is the ceiling? For some people, the ceiling is making the high school team, right? That's the most they're ever going to do because that's their ceiling. Some people, the ceiling is playing professionally for 25 years and making the Hall of Fame. But the disconnect is the people that were not pursuing it may stop at the high school level when they, had, when they had they had the passion, the drive, the pursuit. Maybe that was the person that could have been that 25-year Hall of Famer, but something along the way got them sideways, and they, they stopped that focus on the pursuit of that next level, and then what could have been never happened. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think the, the, the important part, too, is that there's a difference between being realistic and being uh, optimistic. And I think that when people start to blur the line between the two, it starts to get confusing. I think for me personally, though, I am a firm believer when you are, you know, uh, realistic, I think that that is another and you quit. You say I'm being realistic and you quit. That's just an, uh, an alternative way of quitting mm -hmm. to me. And I think that you have to acknowledge it's not so much realistic isn't so much saying that you are not going to make the high school team or making the next level that you want to achieve. Being realistic is more about, hey, where do I actually stand and what do I need to do in order to accomplish and achieve the next level that I need to get to? Because there's there you can't be like, yeah, I'm going to make the high school team, but you haven't been putting in work. <laughs> You have to be realistic with yourself and acknowledge like, hey, Ashley, you know what? If I keep on taking three days off out of the week, I'm not going to make the high school team. That's not going to happen. So I think there, there's a difference between being realistic to, to make yourself allow yourself to quit and being realistic to acknowledge where you're at so that you can at least say, OK, this is where I'm at, but I have to get to this point to get to where I want to be hundred percent. And, and you've brought up the, the term putting in the work several times and you know, here's something else that, that we see from time and time again. And I know that this, that this um, conversation will probably reach, you know, younger children and, and, and all the way up to adults. Right. So I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit to the, to the younger, to the younger kids. And we, and we all know who they are from the time they were three, four, five years old up until about the time they're, 
eight or nine, there are some kids out there that no matter what they're doing, you could give them a baseball, basketball, soccer, ball, football. It doesn't matter. Ping pong paddle. It doesn't matter what it is. It, do, it doesn't <laughs> matter what it is. They almost always win, right? You know, you know who I'm talking about. There are those kids that are like that are like yeah, the, I'm the, one there of you them. go. So there there are kids out there. For instance, there was this one kid when we were uh, eight years old. He didn't even come to the basketball tryout. He couldn't even come to the basketball tryout, and he got picked one number one overall. And no one had even seen him play, but they saw him play other sports, and they're like, "God, oh, this kid's a freak athlete. We want him on the team." They never even saw him play, and he was he was a freak <laughs> athlete. And he should have been number one. But here's what happens: is that those kids over time, if and I've seen it so many times, they stop putting in the work because they're always used to being the best. They're always used to being the first pick. All these different things. And so mm -hmm. the kids that are the grinders, right? The ones who are always putting in the work, the one who wasn't naturally a speed demon and they were always slower and that other kid was always faster, but they, they over time, they're going to speed agility classes. They're, they're taking extra batting practice. They're doing extra fielding work. Over time, the ones that who put in the work catch up to the ones that aren't, even though they were good traditionally, and then they, over time, if the other ones don't start putting the work, they get passed and they get passed very, very quickly. And then in a blink of an eye, it's like, what happened? This kid that was used to be getting get drafted, you know, picked seventh or eighth is now the number one because he or she put in the work. Um, and you have got to put in the work. There's no way around it. Just, there's just no 100%. way around it. You can't, you can't expect you when you put in the work too. you, you, Start to expect to win. Yes. When you start, when you put in the work, you expect to win because you you know that you put the work behind it. So I just want to acknowledge that too, because you start building confidence from putting in the work. If you have confidence and you're not putting in the work, then you start to lose it very easily and very quickly. Once that kid that has been putting it in and starts showing you that they have confidence. <laughs> It's going to be a scary little yeah, battle. You, 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 you hit the nail on the head. And, you know, and, and I can, you know, for instance, I, I know I've, I, I mentioned, you know, my son a couple of times, but, you know, for, you know, he was always, um, and I hope he never, you know, never listens to this, but he was one of the slowest ones on the team. Right. And so he was, and he was always a pitcher or a catcher. And so he would always get courtesy run for, right. You know how that rule is the pitcher, the catcher, they put in this speed. Yeah. He could not stand that. And so he said Dad, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get faster because I cannot stand that. Well, that was when we were about eight or nine. And now he's a 2025. 20, he's not the fastest kid on the team, but he's probably number two or number three. He doesn't get courtesy run for. In fact, he goes in and courtesy runs. And I will tell you this, he does speed and agility four times a week, and he has never quit doing that. And if there was an ever a situation where it says, I've either got to miss one. I've got to either miss speed and agility or I've got to miss batting practice. I will promise you he will skip batting practice and he will do speed and agility because he knows how important that is. Because once you get older, this is another life lesson. Once you get older, everyone you know, at the next level can hit pretty daggone good, right? They can all feel pretty daggone good. They've all got pretty good arms. But one of the things that separates is that speed because speed and agility, especially the agility part of it, you have to work at that, especially in baseball. And so you, you just got to grind at all aspects of your game to continue to get better. If you want to pursue, like you mentioned that next level. 
That's a great point. And I think that's something that we could actually talk about too, because, you know, we, we, we want to talk about how can I stand out as an athlete? So that's my first question to you is how can I personally stand out as an athlete going to a tryout and what should I be expecting to uh, be able to need to do in order to make myself known or at least notice? That's a great, would it be the speed and that, agility? That's a, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, l- let me, let me say something here. So I, I, I'm going to tell a story. There was a story. There was two things. Well, the way that you warm up, okay, is extremely important. So when you're talking about how do you stand out at a tryout, all right, let's just say that it's um, uh, hypothetically it's a uh, it's it's a showcase for 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 college. Is it is it fair enough to use that that analogy? Okay, Sounds so good. so there's a showcase, um, and there's going to be some college coaches there, uh, and um, and you want to stand out. The first thing you have to do is you have to warm up properly. I cannot stress that enough, okay? The coaches are going to be watching the way that you warm up. And they will disqualify you for the way that you warm up. If you're out there taking ground balls and you're putting them between your legs and you know you're flicking them over to first, or if you're talking the whole time when you're when you're throwing long toss with somebody and you're just lobbing it up in the air and you're and you're walking, never ever walk when you're between the lines. At least a slow jog, never walk in between the lines. Uh, that's one of the first things that that's going to get you either noticed or get you checked off the list uh, quickly. There was a situation to where a, a college scout came to to uh, watch somebody, and they were so disgusted with the way that they saw them warm up, he packed up his bag and he left, and he didn't even watch. Uh, that's a 100% true, true story. This was a Division One uh, recruiter. It wasn't the head coach. I, I may have said coach. It was the recruiter, the recruiting coordinator. A Division One recruiting coordinator coming to watch a Division One player and they didn't even watch the game because they said, I've seen enough. Because they're making a, you're, they're making a four-year commitment, and there's enough good kids out there to, that are going to give them everything to where they, um, th- th- they don't waste their time with someone who's not even going to warm up properly, especially when they know that you're coming that day. And so that's a couple of things that you can get checked off your list. Uh, I can elaborate more on what can make you stand out in specific positions and stuff. I, I don't know if that was the the road that you wanted me to go down or not on that question. Well, I love I love what you're where you're going at it, and I'd love to dive into the different positions as well mm-hmm. after this. But I have I do have a question for you uh, relating to this subject, which is you're saying uh, is the way that they warm up, but. I want to make it clear because I understand what you're saying, but I want to make sure that listeners understand what you're saying is not so much the way that you warm up, but the intent behind 100%, your 100%. Yes. 100%. Right? Um, the, the intent and focus, you know, when you get between the lines, ba- baseball is 100% fun. If it wasn't fun, no one would do it. Right. It's a hard game, but when you're, bet- but, but when you're between the yeah. lines, you have to focus because every throw Every pitch, every uh, you know, steal signal, bunt signal, all that stuff, everything throughout the game. If any of that's missed, you you can potentially lose the game. So if you go out there with no focus, no no intensity, no hustle, 
they don't really have time for you. That's why I mentioned to never walk between the lines. That appears to be lazy, right? And they do not deal with lazy at all. So yes, you have to have the intent on everything that you're doing that you're there and that you mean business, right? Uh, you you have you have to be a a leader, and a leader on a team isn't the one that's walking, isn't the one that's throwing rainbow lollipops in the outfield while they're loosening up their arm. You know, they're not the ones that are that are laughing and giggling the whole time. A leader is one that is more intense. That when they start doing something, everyone else gets in lines and follows. They want leaders, uh, people who are out there to lead and have the intent and the focus and the drive to get ready for the game properly. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, definitely something that I, I would discuss with my athletes. I've always told them when you warm up, mm-hmm. every throw matters. Even, even to the point that you're just five feet from each other, make every throw matter. Like, don't just lob it over to your partner simply because you are uh, getting your body warm. It, your throw should be with intent and purpose. And that's even during your practices, your games, your tryouts. You want to make every throw with an intent behind it. So personally, myself, I actually don't warm up just to warm up. I actually have a five, seven, depending on how much time I have. I have a five or seven step process that I go through when I'm throwing. That helped me develop my mechanics sure. over time. And I actually met um, the University of Laverne coach. I had the opportunity to talk to him and learn from him. And he said that he requires his players to actually do the quick um, transfer. So they, when they are catching the ball, it's not just catching it and, and being chalant and relaxed and throwing it back. They actually have to catch it and get into they transfer the ball and they get into the throwing position as if they were in the outfield or infield and then that goes to show you that additional that work that you can put in while you that's the attempt behind the warm-up and and, and that's such a great point you know so that's the other thing is that when you warm up like our team they'll go out they do a little bit of team stretches okay then they do the drill i don't know if you've seen it but it's just where you put your off hand your glove hand on your elbow and you kind of take the ball and you're just kind of flicking it to the partner to get your to get the range of the range of motion so oh, yeah. we do that and then we get about we about the first the first go around's about 10 feet apart and we call it quick hands quick feet and you just zip the ball to them really quickly they catch it turn zip it right back Okay, and it's like you said, the quick hands, quick feet. It's quick. They're not just they're, you're not just doing it to do it. It's quick, and everyone does it. Ten right there. They scoot back about ten feet. They do it again. They scoot back about ten feet. Now they're about thirty feet. They've done three rounds of quick hands, quick feet, and now they're warming up with a purpose. And then each one of them will go out a further a further distance because depending on who you're throwing up with. But you do that, you go out pretty far, and then you pull down, coming back in, and then you're there. And if you do it right, you're not standing out there for thirty five minutes throwing the ball. You know, you're out there for a few minutes, intense, quickly, and you're you're getting it done. And so, um, but yes, everything is with a purpose. And it's so ironic that you brought up the, the transfer because we call it something different. We call it quick hands, quick feet, but it's the same exact drill. I know it is like I'm picturing us doing it and it's the same exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. It, and so that's something that I would highly recommend to all of the athletes that are listening to this. If you're, it doesn't matter if you're a pitcher or a catcher, whatever you are, work on that because it's going to help you regardless. <laughs> So why, why just catch it when you can actually work on something and improve yourself over time? And so I love to dive into the other positions, though. What, what are uh, the 
different positions and then dive into what are the things that can make them stand out within those positions. If we want to go ahead and start with sure. maybe the outfield. Sure. So outfielder. An outfielder, one thing that I would suggest that you do if you're an outfielder and you want to be seen is uh, I would play. This is just me. I would play – well, and if you're quick, okay, you should be quick, but most outfielders are. And if you're at a showcase, you're trying out. You're, you want to show off two things if you're an outfielder. You want to show off your speed. You want to show off your arm. Uh, obviously, you want to show off your glove, but, you know, at this, you know, you should be able to catch a pop fly, right? So the things that are going to make you stand out, you know, ca- catching, catching a, a can of corn pop fly doesn't make anyone stand out. But if you're playing shallow and they hit one deep, and you turn around and you sprint to it the right way and you show off your wheels and you get to that ball and you transfer quickly and you throw it, you, you gun it back in with a purpose, that's going to make you stand out, okay? Always, always, always know exactly where you're going to throw the ball to. Never hesitate when you're in the outfield. That is a big one. If you come up and you field a, a, a grounder, you, even – here's the thing. If you throw it to the wrong base, I will promise you that's it's better to come up, go, crow hop, boom, fire it to a base on a line. That's better if you throw it to the wrong base than, you know, you, uh, you know, hitching four and five times and say, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? You have to be decisive. So know where you're going to go before the ball's hit to you. All, that's for every position. Bef- before the ball is ever pitched, what am I going to do if the ball's hit to me? Ask yourself that question. What am I going to do if the ball's hit to me? And you always have to know. But when you're an outfielder, play shallow. Beg them to burn you, okay? So, so you can be smart about it, but beg them to burn you so you can go. So, so, so you can go back, and play, <laughs> all right? And then you want to show off the arm, all right? That's that's one that that's a big thing uh, for for an outfielder. You said it's it the you said you have to acknowledge where you're gonna go before the pitch is even gonna happen. And I actually do this uh, training when I hit the ball to my infielders and outfielders when I'm training them for a one-on-one lesson. I actually tell them to talk to themselves saying out loud to me. I want them to tell me. I'm saying, hey, if it's hit to you, then I let them respond. They say, I catch it. I will catch it. And then that's just to build mm-hmm. um, build confidence. And then I say, where are you going? And then they say, going to second base. And it, that's so important because two things happen. One, you can be quicker. You can be more precise. And also the last thing that I would really like to say is that you want the ball to you. When you know where you are going and what you're going to do with the ball, you actually are more prepared, you're more aware, and you're more confident. So you're going to want the ball to hit to you. If you're a kid that is getting your, the ball going to be hit to you, <laughs> you're going to be like, oh, God, where am I supposed to go? And you're like in the middle of the play, you're thinking rather than just focusing on the actual play itself. You already know where it is. You no longer worry about the next thing that's going to happen. You focus on the moment, catching the ball first, yeah, then exactly. making the play. So you're going to make you're going to make less errors because you know where exactly you're going. Exactly right. With the ball I mean, baseball is a split second game, and so if you're playing third base and there's a laser hit to you, you have zero time to do anything else other than focus on catching that ball. If you're thinking, okay, here it comes, where am I going to go? And you're corner of your eye, oh my gosh, who's on? How many outs? Who, where? All the all you know. You're going to make an error, and you cannot do that. You have got to know. Boom! I've just fielded it. Okay, bam! I'm hitting. I'm hitting second. Boom! I'm stepping on third. Whatever you're doing, 
you have got to know that it's, it's huge. It's huge. And so same, we have the same philosophy on that. You know, I, I always just say, what am I going to do if the ball's hit to me? You have them say, you know, what am I going to do? Catch it. I'll catch it. I'll catch it. And so, I mean, that's awesome. And so while we think a lot of these things are just one-on-one and that everybody's doing it, everybody's not doing it right. Everybody's not doing it. If everybody was doing it, you wouldn't see, you wouldn't go to some of these games and, 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 and say out loud, Oh my gosh, what are they doing? I mean, how many times have we, I mean, I, I mean, how many times have I said that at a game? I'm like, what are they doing? You know? And, uh, and I've said it about my team too, but I mean, uh, I've, I've, but, but, it, but it's, I'm like, they, they know but you know, you, you say, what are they doing? It's, it's a circus. Put a tin on that circus. Um, but I mean, so anyways, it's, it's, it's ironic that we think the same exact way on that. So, but that's what an, that's what an outfielder should do yeah. to, um, to, to try to stand out. Just my opinion on that. And then when it comes to the infield, let's dive into sure, the infield. Yeah. What so, does that look um, like? I'll start with catcher because that's my position. The best way to stand out is if, if you're a catcher is to back pick is to do back picks. You have to show off your arm, right? That's, that's really all you can do. Obviously, yes, blocking is very, very, very important. But, you know, you might not get any balls in the dirt. Yes, if uh, blocking a play at the plate, if someone's coming around third, knowing how to get your knee out and all that stuff, yeah, that's very important. And you better do it all properly if that opportunity arises. But a lot of times it doesn't. So when you're, when you're trying out and you want to stand out, you have to create your own opportunity. So someone's a couple steps off first base, I'm backpicking them if I'm a catcher, right? I'll, the best one is at second. Um, if you can backpick someone at second base, oh my goodness, you, 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 you are, yeah, you yeah, are going to raise the, the <laughs> eyebrows of everyone. So if you're a catcher, backpick. Um, if you're a first baseman, all right, go get the ball. All right. Don't ever have one of those situations. We've all been there. It's hit between first and second. The first baseman looks at the second baseman and vice versa. No one knows what to do. Go get the ball. Go get the ball. And, and that's, that goes for every position. Every position, go get the ball. Because if you don't have the ball, then no one's going to even know you're there. So go get the ball if you're playing first and then, and then flip it to the, to the pitcher properly, um, which I guess then we would go to the pitcher. If you're pitching, if you're pitching, make sure you're covering <laughs> first every single time. Also, make sure you know exactly where you're going to go on a backup. Heaven forbid if there's a play at the plate and, and it gets past the catcher and you're standing on the mound, oh, my goodness. They don't have, don't have, you're, you're done. You're, no, you done. God. So make sure you're always backing up. And that's anyway. not even just at home. That's anywhere. Any play that wherever that, the play is going, you got to be oh, there. You got to be there to back it always, up. Always, always sprinting down towards first. Beat that runner. You want to make, you want to open some eyes, ground ball to shortstop, catcher beats the runner to first base. You know, everyone's going to have, ah. like, whoa, look at that. Look at this catcher. Um, <laughs> Also pitching, pitching, <laughs> don't waste a pitch in a, in a regular game. You know, I mean, we all call them. It's no balls and two strikes. And you call the one that's way, way up over their head just to see if they'll tomahawk at one. They're not going to do it. Okay. You know, you're, you're not, they're not going to do it in the, in these levels. So don't waste one that bad. It's going to look like you don't have any command. Wasting a pitch is, or throwing a ball is fine, but you know, throw the one that's, you know, uh, you know, three inches off the plate, a fastball low and away rather than the one that's two feet off the plate, um, you know, because you don't want to get your pitch count high because you'll come out quicker and you certainly don't want to walk anyone. So, you know, let your defense play for you. But also 
think about this. Um, how many times have you been around when someone batting has been froze, right? That's like the coolest thing when you're a pitcher or, or you see a, a batter get, get froze. So think about ways to freeze a batter, right? If there's, um, if it, it, don't be afraid to throw a three ball, two strike curveball. Don't say, Oh, I can't walk. I can't walk him. You know, oh, you throw yeah. a big hook with three, three, two and you freeze them. Oh man. Everyone in the park. Ooh, you know, so make sure that, that make sure you're not afraid. <laughs> you, you want that wow factor, right? You, you, that's what, that's what you're going for in a, in, in yeah. a correct way. Um, middle infielders be ready to turn the double play. That's the biggest thing. Turning it properly with those nice, soft, quick hands. Um, turning the double play. Always dive for the ball. If you're the middle infielder, that could be any position. But if if you're a middle infielder, if you if you're filthy because you're diving for it, I mean, look, I, if it's up the middle and you're playing second base and you know that you probably have no chance of getting it, but if you go all out and die for it, why not? Right? It's going to look better than taking two steps and giving up on it. So get dirty. Um, turn that double play. Third base. Uh, you know, you just third base, man, you, you know, you, you just got to make the play. You got to be ready and cut off that ball. That's going to shortstop always cut the ball off in front of the shortstop. Um, and don't be afraid to call the ball. Yeah. Don't. Okay. Shortstops the, uh, the, the, the king of the infield, right? If there's a pop, if I'm playing third and there's a pop-up anywhere near me, I'm calling it. I mean, I'm calling, I'm calling it loud. Um, I'll make the, I'll, I'll make the, uh, I'll make the shortstop call me off, you know, before I won't call it, but I'm calling it, I'm calling it loud. And then lastly, the catcher always in command of the infield, always be the leader, be loud. Hey, I got one out plays at first. I've got this, be the commander out there and don't be afraid to go talk to the pitcher. Remember you want eyes on you pitcher, walk somebody first pitch of the next batter is a ball time. You're out there talking to him. And then when it comes to the pitcher though, does Belo really matter to you guys or is accuracy become more of a priority? Because I've been seeing lately personally, I've been seeing a lot more um, Belo focus over accuracy and um, mindset and also pitching so he, that, That's a tricky one. So, it, and to answer your question, it's what no one's going to want to hear, but it's both. You, 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 you. Yeah, you, you, you don't. You <laughs> no, don't like, I don't like no, it. Nobody likes it because it almost seems like a cop out. Because okay, uh, so what do you you want Nolan Ryan? I guess. Um, uh, you you know, but so no, so and I keep saying those old old guys. No yeah. one knows who no, old Nolan Ryan is anymore. But anyways, um, you know, so but um, you know, all right. So uh, I want you want Corey Kluber. Um, so anyways, um, what you the velo? Yes, it matters. I mean, it matters because let's face the facts. I mean, a, a major a D one a power five. Right-handed pitcher, you send them a tape, and 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 they're throwing 89 miles an hour. I mean, it's going to take an act of Congress to get them to take a look at him. Uh, uh, you know, you can say, look, he's got command of four pitches. He's this. He's that. He's this. He's that. What's he hit? 89. Okay, because you know what? Here's what they're going to say. I've got the same guy who has all those four pitches, and they've got all all command of them, and he's hitting 93. So that's that's kind of where we're at today. If it's me, if it's me, okay, now this is going to be talking, and if we have time, we might get into something else. I don't think the, the, the number after the D for college means a single thing, all right? I don't, all right? So if you want to be a good pitcher, all right, and you, are, and you want to play in college at the next level from, from, from high school, 
then you have got to have the accuracy. The velo will get stepped down. But if you're, if you're throwing 82 miles an hour, but you have command of four pitches and you don't walk anybody, you're going to play in college. Okay. That's just, that's just how it is. All right. You might not play at LSU or Vanderbilt, but you're going to play in college. All right. Um, and so people have D one itis and it's like, I've got to play D one. I've got to play D one. Well, very, f- very few select people play <laughs> D one. Okay. But if you want to play, you need to be accurate. All right. Because I will tell you when if a D three school, you're throwing 91, but you're walking everybody. Forget it, because you don't have to throw 91. You can throw 83 miles an hour, but have command of four pitches or three pitches or, two, or you know a few pitches, and, and you can play. So, uh, you know, for me, me personally, I, I want the guy who throws yeah. strikes um, because that's what I always say to every kid I ever coach. I'll say, hey, what's what's your best pitch? And no matter what they say, because they never say the right answer, I say, no, your best pitch is a strike. Um, they always say fastball or curveball or change. I say, no, no, no. Your best pitch is a strike. Um, and so that, that's what I want. I, that's what I want. I like but it. I'll tell you, yeah, v, measurable velo is, is Okay. Important. I would have been that kid, though. Yeah, I would right. have said my 12-shit curve because yeah, it makes yeah. every guy look silly. Because they, I always confuse them or I make them <laughs> look – they yeah, flinch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, like, that's why it's my favorite. But then you're like, no nah, – but now I got to change my perspective because that's a great point. It's, yeah, it, it's your favorite strike. pitch yeah, should be yeah. a strike. So I like it. Okay. But you mentioned a few times, and I want to address this because I also want to learn from this uh, comment that you said. You know, do we, so like, do, should I, as a pitcher, because I am, acknowledge, hey, I have, you know, four, three, four different pitches and I have command on them but I don't have the velo. Do I stick with that or do I go down to only having two pitches no, and no, start I, focusing I on my velo? Um, <clears throat> you, yeah. Same thing for the other way around then. What about the kid who's throwing 93, but he only has two pitches. So he has a fastball and a curve. There are very it. few Mariano Rivera's, right? He had two pitches. There are, there are very, there are very few of them, right? You, you've got to develop your overall game. That's that's just that's no different than saying, hey, I'm a basketball player, but all I can do is dunk the basketball. All right. That's great. But so what do you do when you're on the other end? You can't get me a rebound. You can't throw the ball in. You can't hit any type of shot. You know, you've got to be more well-rounded. I can't have you on the court if all you can do is dunk. You might be a great dunker, but you got to have more than that. Right. So, you know, or or, or this Chapman is throws the fastest fastball. But he has other pitches, right? He has a slider. He has a changeup. And it's easy to hit that, you know, the, the off speed if you know it's coming, right? Banging on the trash cans. That's a whole different story. But, but, uh, but, 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 but other than that, <laughs> other than that, you, if he just throws a 100 mile an hour fastball, he's going to get hit all day long, right? And so you, you've got to develop, you've got to have the multiple pitches, but you've also, ha- you've got to work on your velo as well because, even if, you know, the, there are some kids that throw more, more, ju- you know, more junk balls than fastballs. And so what happens is, is if you're really accurate with all of those other pitches, that 85 mile an hour fastball looks like 95, right? And you don't throw it nearly as much and you don't throw it nearly as much, right? Yeah. And, and so you, 
I would agree with you. Yeah. Because yeah, I, right. I so, had that happen so that, last thing, game. And you can, you can insert 75 with 85 or 65, whatever the level, whatever it is, you know, you can insert that number, but if you have command and then you sneak that fastball in there, it's almost unhittable and it doesn't have to be 95 miles an hour. Right. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be, but you've always got to be worried. If you're, if, if you're a, you know, and everyone's different, you know, I mean, if you're five foot eight and you're a pitcher, I mean, you're probably not going to throw a hundred miles an hour. It's probably not going to happen. But if you're six foot five and you're sitting at 84, well, you, you've got some stuff that you need to work on because you probably can generate that motion to throw 95. So you, it, it, everything is different. So it's so hard to answer in generalities, but no matter where it is, you have to be in, and I'll bring back your, 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 uh, your term. You have to be in pursuit of, 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 of better. You've got to get better. So if you're throwing 85, you got to have the pursuit to get better to throw 87. If you have a fastball and a curveball, um, but you don't have a changeup, you better be in pursuit of developing a changeup. And so you've got to always be working on your game, always be working on your game. I totally agree. Now, I, I think this has been a great conversation, and I'd love to dive into the three questions that we've had from our uh, people on Instagram. If you guys don't follow me yet, go ahead and follow me at drexel.smith. You'll see that it's Hawk Baseball, and you'll see that you guys will be able to have the opportunity to ask guests like Bobby Roberts here. And I have three questions for you, Bobby, from my community, and I look forward to asking you. Are you ready? Awesome. So the first one was, you know, you kind of covered it in the beginning of the podcast, but what is something that I do not want to do to get my, I couldn't agree anymore. And sometimes too, even if it's not the coach themselves seeing it, it could be someone that's connected to the coach. And if the coach brings them on, let's say you do end up getting the offer and then they, you accept it, but then someone sees that, Oh, Hey, uh, coach, you know, I know, you just recruited this kid, but did you know that he did this and this on social media or talked to this way to someone on yeah, social media and stuff like just that? think about that. I've seen that happen too. <clears throat> it's not just what you're posting. It's also what Absolutely. you're engaging. So make because sure you, you pay attention uh, to that. You know, if, you, if you get a, an offer, that means someone else didn't get an offer. So that means that that person that didn't get the offer probably isn't very happy with you. And they would be the first one to say, oh, that's great. You offered this guy this, but did you know he did this and this and this and this and this? Um, you know, so you just make sure that you don't do that again, the intangible stuff, always hustling, always, you know, coming, uh, you know, coming to work, being prepared, you know, when you hit the ball field, that's what I'm talking about work running in between the lines, all those things, but then don't do, don't work your tail off and do all the athletic part of it, right. Get the good grades and then allow yourself to mess up because, you know, because you were, you thought you were doing something that maybe you were just goofing off with your buddies and all that stuff, but it really wasn't cool. It wasn't the right thing to do. And it's going to come back to haunt you. Totally agree. And the second question is actually about the grade. You mentioned it a couple of times. How important is grade and why is it so important or not important compared to the athletic side of getting recruited? Um, we, we, you know, my organization, we've had, you know, thousands of conversations with coaches. Okay. I've never one time had a coach ask me what someone's batting average was. Never have one time asked me what their ERA is. Um, never asked me any of those things because they don't care. 
right? They've got other things that they look at, other metrics, other things that they, that they want to look at. Every single one of them, 100% of the time, asks me about their grades and about their scores, their test scores. Every one of them. So there's a couple reasons why. One, the most obvious, is they want to make sure that someone is coachable. Okay. That's one of the biggest things. They, they, they got to make sure you're coachable. They don't want a prima donna. If you don't know what that is, that means that's somebody who um, they've got all this God given ability, but then they don't listen to authority. They're better than anybody else. They're going to talk down to their teammates. They're not going to dive after the ball. They don't want any of that stuff. They want someone who's coachable. Okay. Part of being coachable is, is being able to learn. You don't have to have, you don't have to be the smartest person in the world. I look, I'm not the smartest person in the world. I had a 3.4 um, in, in high school. Okay. Uh, I wish I could have got it a little bit higher, but that was enough barely for me to get some academic money. Um, you know, if you can get a 3.5 or higher, then you're getting even more things were different back in my day, back in my day, but the grade part of it. Yeah. Um, so you're coachable, all those things, but athletic scholarships, you only have in division one, for instance, there's only 11.7 Full scholarships. Now, no one gets a full scholarship, but that's how much the equivalent of, of, of full scholarships they have. It's 11.7 is what they have. Okay. Now, that's divided up between 25 scholarship players, 35 that are on the roster. So you've got 25 kids that, that, are, vying, that are vying for 11.7 scholarships. Now, those, where all, where's all the other money going to come from? It comes from academics. So you, the better your grades, the easier it is on the coach to get you money so you can come to school. All right. So that's, that's a big part of it. You know, you don't have 85 scholarships like you do in football, right? Baseball is different. So you, the, the coaches want to know who can I get academic money to? And typically the people that have the better grades are not, are not, are not a problem. Okay. They're not a problem. Um, and you know, the thing is also, if you're, um, if, if you're a go-getter, if you're a grinder, if you really want it bad enough, you can talk, even if you're having, you know, struggles with your grades, you can talk to your teachers, you can get extra work, they'll work with you. No teacher out there wants to give anyone a bad grade. If you're trying hard, you're going to, you're going to get good grades. So that's, that's, that's that in a nutshell, that's it. Um, but grades are extremely important for money, coachability, uh, and then just so that they'll know that, you know, you, you are, you are a good student because if you're a student in the classroom, you'll be a student of the game. I, I think that's a great point. And I right. also want to address the fact that they don't have to worry about you. The coaches don't have to worry about your grades or checking in on your grading. They, they can focus on you and the game. And so the easier that the coach can rely on you to take care of those responsibilities, the easier Without it makes him to be able to coach to you as a player. Rather than, someone, rather than a professor coming to you and say, hey, you know, Johnny's flunking yep. again. Um, they, they don't have time for that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. And so here's the last question. And the last question was they were asking, you know, what are, what are some things that I can do that will – Make me okay. an well, eligible. Really, to the, the, play the only for things college. that you can do to not be eligible is to you know not qualify academically. Um, that's that's the big thing uh, is is the academic part of it. Um, things that will get you um, kicked off of a team uh, is make is making the team uh, or the or the coach 
uh, or the university look bad. Um, again, that almost circles back to what we talked about doing knucklehead stuff on social media. Um, you know, things like that um, can can get you. Uh, it's it's called um, acts that are detrimental to the team. Okay, so if you do anything that's detrimental to the team, um, then you're going to be in trouble. Um, obviously, the the things that everybody knows about, you know, getting in trouble with the law, you know, drinking and drugs and all those types of things. You know, guys, stay away from all that stuff. Um, bad news. Um, breaking curfew. Uh, don't do that. Almost every team out there has a curfew. Um, you know, going to, you know, campus parties and causing trouble and having the campus cops called on you, you know, all that stuff. Coaches don't like about how you were talking about the grades where they don't have to worry about you. They, they don't want to have to worry about you. So, so stay out of any of that negativity. Um, those are the things that, that, that you really want to, they really want to stay away from. There, there's just really no, no reason for it. Um, and, um, you know, that, that's not where, where, where athletes need to be. Um, and let me, let me tell you another, another thing. And, and this is kind of answering the question, but <clears throat> when you're an athlete, uh, you, you, you are perceived at a different level. Okay. You are always a leader. Um, you're a leader of, of the team. You're a leader of the, uh, uh, of the school. Okay. Uh, you're in the limelight. Um, and you're also a target. Okay. You're targeted by people who are jealous. All right. Um, people, people that didn't work as hard as an athlete to get there, um, have excuses, um, and with excuses breed jealousy. And so jealous people tend to try to do things like pick a fight or put you in the wrong position to be in or, or make you look at, you know, be somebody that you're, that you're, that you're not because they're jealous of you and they're trying to make an example of you. Don't put yourself in a vulnerable situation because you are a target. People are going to know who you are. Um, whether you're a recruit in high school that's trying to make it or whether you're already there, um, you're going to have jealous people um, that try to bring you down. OK, uh, there's a term it's called misery loves company. All right. Athletes are typically not miserable. Right. The ones that quit back full circle on this whole conversation, the ones that quit um, and gave up. Um, I'm not saying that they're th that they're miserable, but they're they're not happy that they are not where you are. So they're going to try to bring you down on their level. Don't don't get involved in any of that stuff. You, you have to just be laser focused on on you you have to do you and you have to have that pursuit that term again the pursuit of of what you want to do and don't let anything get in the way of it there are a lot of detractors out there people that are going to try to detract you from the being the best that you can be and from going as high as you possibly can go don't let there be any detractors in your way do everything you can to push that to the side um, and then, and then you'll be, you'll be much for the better. Yeah. And I would love to top on that a little bit too. I love every single thing you just said. That's a great point. And I think that that also, um, goes to the, to even to the extent of life and not just baseball, but life, you have to be more. So my, my, one of my philosophies that I've always taught and told kids is that you're not you are not where you're supposed to be. You are where you need to be. And if you want to get to somewhere else, then you need to acknowledge where you're at so you can achieve where you want to be. So don't compare yourself because comparing yourself 
to someone else's situation and thing will never help you because you're never going to be able to acknowledge where you are actually at and what makes you great. What makes you great is going to allow you to perform in different ways that they can't. So just make sure that you are acknowledging where are you at? What are you capable of? What can you work on? What can you improve on and focus on yourself? And the only person, the only thing that you should be comparing yourself to is yourself prior to that moment and work your way forward from there. Because you have to remember that everyone has their own gift, their own talent, their own path, their own direction. You can't get upset because you have to remember, for me personally, I'm a man of faith. I believe that God puts us in places and situations and where we are at. And he has us where we need to be, not where we want to be, because we are meant to achieve so much greater when we focus on ourselves and our perspective moving forward. That was so well said. And, you know, you you are 100 percent right. You know, your only competition is you. That's it. Um, You are your competition. It is your job to make yourself better than you were each and every day. So my only goal is tomorrow. I want to be better than I was today in every aspect of my life. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that also goes to when you're at the tryout, if you're at the tryout, don't compare yourself. Don't be spending <laughs> a nervous wreck and time <laughs> trying to compare yourself to another guy or girl you're competing against. You just don't do it. Hey, I made a great play. Awesome. How can I do better on the next play? Hey, I did a great pitch. How can I do better on the next pitch? Like, just focus on the next one. Focus on the moment. Focus on the next one that you can do in your best of your ability. Don't compare yourself to other people that, you know, for example, for me personally, (laughs) I know I am not a home run hitter. I'm just not a home run hitter. But I do know that I can hit the ball into play more consistently than anyone on my team. I have consistently only striked out four times out of 58 uh, at-bats that I've had. I've only striked out four times. But the guy who can hit home runs have <laughs> striked out 15 times. Hey, he strikes out, he gets a couple home runs. You can put your – I could be so focused on trying to hit home runs and I can say that, I did horrible this year because I didn't hit a home run. But really, in nationality, if, if we're saying, hey, who struck out more? He did. Not me. Hey, did he get the ball into play more? No, I did. Did he be able to add value to the team? Yes, he did. So did I. So I think you have to remember that, too. Like, you, you we all add value to the team and, Absolutely. and to and the component of what we're doing in different sport. ways. Everyone has to contribute in a different way. You know, I, I, I've been given the bunt sign one time in my entire life. Right. That's, that's it. Cause I was the home run hitter. Um, but other people <laughs> get the bunt sign all the time, you know, and when someone lays down a sacrifice bunt to win the game, that is fantastic. We won the game. I hit a home run earlier in the game to get us there. They finished it off. It's a team effort and we all want it together and everyone does their role. And you just have to be the best you that you can be. And here's a question that I have for you selfishly. Because, and I think this could really help some players and people too. 
when it comes to present um, body language, when it comes to that, what are we really talking about? Because I've, I've had many coaches say, you know, you have to have great body language. But what does that really look like? Because I've seen for myself, I'm like, uh, that guy ha doesn't really have any body language at all. Like, he doesn't look like he's upset. He doesn't look like he's passionate. He's not, he doesn't seem like he's, like, what does that really look like to you okay. as so a he, coach that, and that also as a scout? kind of a two-part question. <clears throat> One, there's a fine line between bad body language uh, and intensity. Okay. There are people who are intense. There are also people who throw their helmet. Okay. Throwing your helmet because in your bat, because you struck out is bad body language coming off of the field intent and, in, you know, with intensity and sitting in the dugout on your own and, you know, and beating yourself up on the inside and thinking, what can I do better? What can I do better? That's, that's intensity. So a lot of the times the bad body language is how I describe it is, is someone that you don't want to be around. All right. If you see someone acting a certain way and you would rather walk the other way, then that probably means that they have bad body language. Uh, my, one of our coaches describes it the best way he says, and this, and, and you really have to think about this as far as body language goes. And it's so important. And he's been drilling this into our heads and, and into my son's head, I should say, um, since he was eight or nine years old. He says that when someone comes to the ballpark and they look at the scoreboard and it says 10 to nothing and they look at our team, the way that we're acting, they should not know if we are winning or if we are losing because the way that we're acting should be the same. We should be upbeat, focused, intense, great attitude, ready to go, whether you're winning by 10 or you're losing by 10. Far too often, that team that's losing by 10 has a bunch of long faces. People are pouting around. They're walking. All right. They're down in the dumps. That is bad body language just as much as throwing your helmet, kicking the dirt, all, yelling at the umpires, all those things that are that are about body language that's seen by everybody. These are types of body language that other people notice. And I think that's really good. Um, if you're winning by 10 or losing by 10, it, do you, does it, would anyone know the difference? If they were, if they just got to the ball field. And if you really think about that, that's kind of talking about the, about the body language. Um, but in, but individually bad body language is the guy who's always complaining that, the, that wasn't a strike or that was a ball, not a strike, you know, looking at their glove, blaming the glove on the air, throwing their glove, throwing their bat, pouting, not being a good teammate, all of those types of things, you know, huffing and puffing when you're pitching, you know, do you want to be around that person or would you just want to walk away from them? So that's kind of how I see the body language part of it. And I'll tell you what, if a coach or a scout perceives you as having poor or bad body language, red flag, you're checked off the list. So it, it's not so much the intensity or the, um, so it's more about the intent behind it, the yes. action that you're doing than it is the actual action itself. Because it sounds like you're saying like, if you're, if your intensity is your, like, for example, I know some pitchers, their intensity to be able to pitch their best <laughs> is that they look like they're about to rip the that, batter's hey, head off and they look like they're pissed off. And, and some people, some people will look at that as uh, as a bad body language because they look like they're pissed off and they're not relaxed and loose and being able to pitch well. 
But really, in reality, that's how they perform their best. And it's not Let necessarily me. the the action that they have. It's the intensity. It's the intent yeah, behind exactly. it. It's them getting into the zone You've to got pitch that their best. Mound. He is intense. He strikes someone out. He's fist pumping. You know that guy, right? He's like fist pumping. He's sprinting off the field. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, there you go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. He's pumping, right? He he's fired. Trevor Bauer, up, ready to go. <clears throat> Poor body language <laughs> is that same pitcher, okay? Who's pumped up, fired up, ready to go. He throws something that he thinks is strike three, but the umpire calls it a ball. He jumps up in the air. He raises his hand. You've seen this guy, right? He jumps up in the air. He raises his hands. He's flopping around. The catcher can't even throw the ball back because he's turned his back around. He's not ready. That's poor body language. That's not intensity. That's trying to show up the umpire. That's that's poor body language. The guy that makes the error at shortstop because he boots the ball and then he throws it over the first baseman's head, that guy who's like taking his hand and he's pounding, and you can probably hear this, he's, he's taking his fist and he's pounding into his glove and he's talking to himself, come on, you're better than that. You're better than that. Let's go, let's go, let's go. That right there is just being intense. The guy that takes the glove off of his hand, throws it in the ground and kicks it, Okay, I know that's a little extreme, but we've seen it. You know, that's poor body language. There's a fine line between intense and, and, and having poor body language. But again, everybody likes the Trevor Bauer guy. Everybody likes the shortstop that's intense. It's like, come on, I'm going to get him next time. I'm going to get him next time. Nobody likes the guy who's wailing his arms up in the air. That was a strike. No one likes that guy. I totally agree with you. And, and I, that I have to acknowledge now. Because I, to be honest with you, I used to be that, I used to be intent. I I used to think that way. I used to be like, mm -hmm. you're not going to hit off of me and I'm going to freaking sure. annihilate you and I'm going to rip your head off. And that's how I used to do. But then when people started teaching me and talking to me about body language, I started to think about that as, oh, I got to be relaxed. I got to be, you know, more chill on the mound. But I started to see that my velo went down and I my intent, my intensity and explosiveness and excitement right. and enjoyment on the mound wasn't as quite there. So I, I'm glad to hear this because now I can yeah, kind of no, get no, back you're, into you're, that. You're, uh, if, I want to kill you. you don't, don't, I don't know. Ricky Vaughn <laughs> but, coming out of the bullpen, you know, where he's sprinting out there with the wild thing music going on. You know, he's got the, he's got the mohawk and he's throing it 100 miles an hour and he's, you know, hitting oh the ball. Oh, my God, doing, yeah. That is intense. That is not bad body language. That's intense. I don't want to get in the box against that guy. I don't want to, I, 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 you know, I'm like, holy cow. No, no, no. I don't want to get anywhere near this. That's intensity. People love that. People love that. But they don't like that same guy who throws a ball. He thinks it's a strike. And you go, yeah. oh, come on. That was a strike. They don't like that guy. And, and, and most of the time, high intensity guy isn't poor body language guy. They're, they're just not. You know, in a situation like that, the high intensity guy, he thinks it was a strike. The, he, he, the, the catcher throws him the ball back. He just death stares basically right, you know, like next time, not at anybody. He's just like, okay, all right, fine. Let's go. Let's go. I'm ready. You're not going to call this next one a ball. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> exactly. Oh, uh, I am so grateful and so thankful for you joining into this podcast. I'm sure that this podcast is truly going to help some kids out and some parents understand as well. Um, I would love to do another podcast in the future sure. to actually talk more about the actual process of recruiting. If you would be down and open to that, I think that would be great value to them. Yeah, and, absolutely. Um, and that's and something that I would love to do with would, you in the future. Can we do that? Because there are a, there's a lot of bad information out there right now on 
you know, how you get looked at, um, you, you know, I mean, heck, there's a dead period going on right now. Co- college coaches can't even leave campus. So what's it look like? How do you even get in front of someone? Who, what tools do you need to have, your, have in your arsenal? All those things. We could do a whole hour on, on that, and I would be more than happy to, to do a deep dive on that and, and let all of your listeners know what they need to do and when they need to start doing it. Because believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy, Power 5 D1 schools – are taking verbal commitments right now from the class of 2024. I know that sounds crazy, but it's 100% true. So you got to get started. You got to get, yeah, that's freshmen. You've got to get, you've got to get started from now. sooner than you think, but I'd love that. I'd love to have that discussion. That, that'd be great. I really appreciate it. You guys, I hope that this podcast has helped you, motivated you, inspired you. And also that you got a little bit of a laugh from it. Like we did. Um, and remember you guys consider to subscribe and join into our Hawk family. And I'm not better than you. I'm still learning with you. Let's dominate life and baseball together, you guys. And thank you Absolutely. again, Bobby, for joining in and helping us learn and grow together.